Welcome to Management 101, your home for learning about management and leadership in business. Now, here is your host, Max Winokur. Hello, and welcome back to Management 101. I am your host, Max Winokur. Thanks for joining us today, joining me today. Today, we're going to talk about managing your time. And I mean this both in the general professional sense, as well as specifically in the sense of managing your team members' time and managing your time when you are a people manager. And yes, I think I can use the term manager five or six times in the course of these first two sentences. Here's what we'll cover today. First, some of the common time wasters that I see direct reports and managers have. Second, what are some strategies for effective time management? Third, how to tell whether your team member is managing their time effectively or not? Fourth, a concept that I think is incredibly relevant when discussing time management called urgency versus importance. And then finally, some frequently asked questions about time management that I asked for my audience to submit and I will answer them live. First, let's talk through common time wasters. There are some pretty obvious ones here. The first I'd say is just not planning. When you don't plan, things tend to come at you very fast. You will not know the difference between something that you really do need to get done right now versus something that just happened to come in that you feel like you need to focus on. When you don't have a plan, those two things seem the same. When you do have a plan, it's pretty clear why something was on your schedule, why you prioritized it, and it's a lot easier to compare that to something that's now coming in because you've already thought about it. Folks who don't set plans for their days and their weeks, who don't come up with project plans, it's really easy to get thrown off course by new things that come in and any time that you're working in a startup or any company, that company is not a static being. There will be new things that occur that are not predictable and not in your control. When you don't have a plan for this is the work that I am going to be doing and the order in which I'm going to be doing it and when I'm going to be doing it, it's very easy to get thrown off course because other things came up and therefore not planning results in you being unable to accomplish anything meaningful if taken to an extreme. The second item that I see as a very common cause of wasted time is when you or your employees are prioritizing inbound emails and Slack or Microsoft Teams messages over work that needs to be done. I see a lot of managers being very responsive to email, very responsive to messages that are coming in. And I also often see those same managers have a hard time getting actual work done. Same with their team members. If you're being responsive, your brain ends up having to switch context quite a bit, which inherently wastes time. Your brain doesn't just switch from one thing to another without some sort of lull in between. You lose efficiency when you make that change. But also when you're focused on responding to emails and Slack messages, inherently those things aren't that productive overall. They might be immediately useful, 
but none of them are really driving projects forward necessarily in the same way that your actual work does. None of them are impacting the KPIs of your organization the same way your actual work does. So when you allow for emails and Slack messages or really anything that is an inbound item that isn't directly in your control, when it's unpredictable like those things are, when you allow that to take over your actual work, it is very easy to have that be a tremendous time suck. The other thing that I'll call out related to focusing on that inbound email, that inbound message from other parts of the organization, from your manager, from peers of yours, is every time you are responsive to that message, you are becoming yourself the path of least resistance. I have a client who I'm coaching. He is the CEO of a, let's say a hundred person organization. I asked him to make me a list of the things that he spends his day on. I was just curious, how much time does he spend on email? How much time does he spend on his team's Slack? And while we were talking, I noticed that he was getting a lot of inbound messages. And it seemed to me like he really wanted to respond to those and like he probably would if I weren't in the room. And I asked him a little bit about how he normally handles those. And he says, well, typically I'm in meetings and I'm also responding to people while I'm in meetings. I've noticed before that when we're talking, sometimes he gets a little bit distant and I would venture a guess that he's responding to a message rather than listening to me proselytize the the merits of whatever management technique we're talking about at the moment. I asked him to just show me some of these messages. A lot of them were questions from folks in his organization. Where can I find this thing? What's the latest update on X, Y, or Z? Things that I wouldn't have necessarily expected a CEO to be dealing with. I was curious why he was getting these types of messages, but I don't think I would have seen that in another instance. I realized one of the problems was that he was so responsive that people thought that they could ask him for these things. So instead of being resourceful, instead of saying, oh, I wonder where I could find this information related to this policy or this project uh, or this decision, they were literally pinging the CEO because they knew they could get it from him faster. I remember having the same experience very early on in my career I had developed an early knowledge when I worked at Uber. This is my first first role at Uber. It was very entry level. And I had learned SQL, which was a programming language to access data in our databases. And I was one of the only people in my specific office that knew SQL well when I joined. And I would get a lot of messages from other teams asking for me to pull reports on how many drivers were in this spot or things like that ended up becoming a really big part of my job, which was not in my job description. I was supposed to be focused on the Baltimore market, but I ended up getting a lot of asks from other markets related to their metrics. I wanted to be nice and, and help them. What I found was over time, I would get more and more of these requests. At some point I realized it wasn't that people couldn't find this information elsewhere. It was that I had become the path of least resistance because I was so responsive. So there's actually a downside of being really responsive, which is that people get used to that. 
and then they don't become as self-reliant and as resourceful on figuring these things out themselves. What I found was that if I waited to respond even just a few hours, a lot of the messages I would check in and I'd say, hey, just seeing this now. And then I'd ask some clarifying question about what they were looking for. For the most part, by the time I'd gotten back to them, they'd already figured out an alternative. And so what I found was that just by waiting a few hours, I would suddenly have a lot less work to do. I would have a lot fewer asks on my plate because people, when they didn't get the immediate answer from me, would inherently just try to figure out how to do it themselves or where else they could find this information. I removed myself as the path of least resistance, which had been a big problem for me. It was getting in the way of me doing my work. It also made everyone else be a lot more efficient. I wasn't a single fail point anymore. Another common waster of time, attending every meeting. When I look at CEOs, chief operating officers, other VPs or C-suite folks, and I see their calendars booked solid with meetings, I know one critical thing is probably not happening, which is, again, actual work getting done. And in the case of these leaders, thought being put into the plan and strategy for their organization. If you are constantly hopping from meeting to meeting, you are not leaving much time for yourself to actually think as a manager and as a leader, much time to connect dots between different projects and different priorities within your organization. If you see direct reports who are lower down in the org attending lots of meetings and not being thoughtful and judicious around what meetings make sense for them to be a part of and what they're not, it's very likely that they are being a lot less efficient with their time than they could be. One of the reasons is simply every moment you're in a meeting is a moment you can't spend thinking and doing. That's obviously a problem when taken to an extreme because meetings don't make things happen necessarily. And certainly if you're sitting in a meeting, you're not doing very much, hopefully, other than participating. But the other problem is you are invited to a lot more meetings than actually makes sense for you to attend. It does not cost anyone in your organization anything to add you to an invite. It's the email equivalent of plus X person for visibility. You can plus someone to a meeting so easily. And if you just blindly accept those meeting invites or without thinking about whether that actually makes sense for you to attend, you could easily lose 30 minutes or an hour where you were remarkably unnecessary or your participation could have been limited to something via email or a non-live interaction. So I think it's really important as a leader to determine whether each of your meetings is actually a good use of your time. Some common practices that I've seen that I really like for reviewing meetings, one that I do myself is once a quarter, I will look at every meeting that I'm invited to on a recurring basis that I attend and will review whether that meeting is still a good use of my time. The end result has been that I sit there and think for a moment about what the content of that meeting has been, whether I've participated, whether I felt that that 
input on my part or information gaining from others was of value? And sometimes the answer is yes, and I keep that meeting. But sometimes the answer is no, and I will either just decline that meeting going forward if I really feel superfluous, or I will message the owner of that meeting and say, hey, I'm not sure that I am adding the value that's worth my time in this meeting. Do you think it's necessary for me to attend? And when asked directly, there becomes suddenly a cost for people to keep you in that meeting. For the most part, they say no, and then I decline. So that saves me some time, and I do that once a quarter, because otherwise, in your day-to-day, sometimes it's hard to recognize just how many meetings have been added to your calendar and just how many of them are actually useful or not. So I like to separate and do it as a thought exercise once a quarter. Another best practice that I got from a former manager of mine who had a lot of meetings on his calendar and was verbose in his animosity towards extraneous meetings nonetheless was see if you can have a meeting slightly less often when it's a recurring meeting for example we had a bi-weekly in this case every other week bi-weekly review of some project with him and he said could we make it tri-weekly or every three weeks saves everyone 50 percent of their time Sounds kind of silly, a meeting every three weeks, but it actually was great. We lost almost nothing by having it less frequently, and we gained whatever amount of time that was 50% of the time back, which was definitely a worthwhile trade-off. So can your recurring meetings simply be less often? Only one way to find out. The last common time waster I'll talk about here is always saying yes. It's a little bit of an expansion from the concept of attending every meeting. For the most part in organizations, everyone has a lot less context than you do about what you are up to. That makes logical sense. You should have a perfect idea of what you're up to. And unless someone else is literally inside your brain, or you are the best documenter in the entire world, and they are the best reader in the entire world, They'll know less than you do about what you're up to. That includes your manager. And that certainly includes your peers. When someone comes to you and says, I'd like to add this thing to your plate. And normally they don't say it like that. They say, can I get help with this? Or can you take this on? Or I'd like you to take this on if it's your manager. Simply saying yes, it, when taken to an extreme, is almost guaranteed to be a waste of time because everything that is asked of you is unlikely to be of high value, particularly when compared to the other things that are already on your plate. I, as a manager, try to be very thoughtful about this. I check in with my team members and set and try to see what's on their plate, what their priorities are before I ask them to do something else, but I still will sometimes ask them to do other things that in retrospect, I wish they had challenged me a little bit more on because the other things they were doing were definitely of higher value. And sometimes I as a manager simply get a little bit of urgency goggles on where when I think something needs to happen and I don't spend enough time thinking about it because that's just human nature, I decide it's higher priority than something else that I decided on less recently because it feels less urgent in that moment. 
And I wish they'd pushed back and said, well, when trading off A versus B, does that really feel like the right decision? And sure, they would have said it in a nicer way, I'm sure. But all that's to say, I feel like I'm very thoughtful about this as a manager. If most others are not quite as thoughtful about it, you'll be saying yes to a lot of work that does not make sense for you to be doing compared to the things that are already on your plate. There is an alternative besides saying no, because of course, in many situations, you can't simply say no, or you don't want your direct reports simply to say no, which is yes, but, or yes, and I think is how someone in improv would say it. I have gotten the feedback often from leaders I work with that they really appreciate when direct reports bring to them options rather than binaries. So a binary is just saying yes or no. Options are, well, we can do this, but then we'd have to slow down that. We could do this, but then we'd have to eliminate that. We could do this, but then this other thing would be done at lower quality. And then I, as a leader, or that leader gets to decide whether those trade-offs are worthwhile, or that leader can dig in farther. No, dig in further. Further, by the way, is degree. Farther is distance. That leader can then dig in further and figure out, well, is this actually true? What is making that true? Are there other pieces to move around to make this all happen? Just to review, lack of planning, big time waster, prioritizing emails, Slack Slack messages, other non-live interactions, big time waster, attending every meeting and always saying yes, big time wasters. Now let's talk through strategies for effective time management. I generally think that effective time management, of course, requires establishing priorities, sometimes using scheduling tools. I personally use time blocking, which I guess is a scheduling tool. It also involves avoiding distractions. So one of the distractions I just mentioned, Slack messages, Microsoft team messages, phone calls, and also delegation as a leader. There are certain things that simply don't make sense for you to do. It makes sense for someone else to do them, or it makes sense for them to not be done at all. One best practice that I've learned is a concept from a book. The book is called Eat the Frog. The concept of Eat the Frog is the human brain, at least in today's world, will often procrastinate or leave for last the hardest thing to do or the most daunting thing to do or the longest thing to do. And I see this in my own work all the time. I will often put off the thing I really don't feel like doing that I feel like is going to take me a while. And then over time, it really builds up in my brain into something that went from this is a discrete task to, wow, this is a gargantuan, amorphous project that I don't even know how to start and I don't really want to start. And every time I end up doing it, when I force myself to or a uh, client forces me to, I'm just kidding. I normally am very good at prioritizing for clients. But every time I'm forced to by an exogenous entity, I always find invariably that kicking off the task, kicking off the project and actually doing the first few steps was a lot less of a deal in reality than I'd built it up to be over time in my brain. 
So the concept of eat the frog is every day, think of the thing that you really don't want to do, the thing that seems the hardest, and just do that first. I can definitely apply that in my personal life. Every day I wake up and there's a choice. I can choose to do my morning meditation, which I really have to force myself to do, even though I know it's good for me. I can choose to go on a walk or I can choose to doom scroll Instagram and not get out of bed. The last one seems by far the easiest. The first one and the second one are probably much better for me. What I find is when I think about it as, well, I know what I want to do, but if I just get this done, then I can start the rest of my day. When I choose to eat the frog, as this book would say, I am first a lot more likely to do it. If I save my meditation for later in the day, if I save my walk for later in the day, it's so much less likely to happen. And when I do it early, then the rest of my day really gets a lot freer. I feel a lot more productive. So the concept of eat the frog is do the thing you really don't want to do first and get it out of the way because then everything else gets a lot easier. Another great strategy that I love using, blocking your calendar for specific work. One of the things I find, actually, even in this example, recording this podcast, sometimes feels like a task or a chore, something that I don't necessarily look forward to until I'm actually doing it. I always enjoy it when I'm doing it, but there is a some sort of cognitive dissonance where the lead up to it, I'm spending a lot of time not wanting to do it. And so I always put it off if I don't set up time to do it. Every day I think, oh, I actually ran out of time to do this thing. It's late afternoon. I'm going to save it for tomorrow. But when I block it on my calendar, I say podcast from 3 to 4 p.m. And I drop whatever I'm doing at 3 p.m. I say, I'm just going to record. I end up doing it. And I very rarely regret it. And obviously things come up sometimes if there's something urgent at work or you know, a personal issue arises. That calendar invite is not uh, a binding contract, of course. But for the most part, blocking my calendar to record this, blocking my calendar to do specific tasks for the projects I'm working on, blocking my calendar to do the things that I normally wouldn't prioritize really helps me make sure they happen. I would even apply that to responding to emails. Sometimes I let emails really slide down in my inbox because I get a lot of them. And some of them require a lot of digging through because I've been added to a 10 email chain that has all kinds of thoughts in it, all kinds of run-on sentences. And I have to start from email one and work my way up to the most recent one. It requires getting a lot of context. And it's not just a simple yes or no response. And it's not a simple just, oh, got it, move on. So I have started uh, once or twice a week blocking time to respond to emails, and I purposely go through the oldest ones first that I haven't dealt with, such that I never have anything get too old unless it's really something I'm unable to deal with at that moment for whatever reason. You could do the same thing for Slack messages. If you are someone who tends to be very responsive on Slack and getting pulled away from other things while you're being responsive on Slack, you could set aside... 15 minutes every few hours to be responsive on Slack. And that way you're not leaving anyone hanging, but you're also not letting it distract you in the same way because you've come up with a compartmentalized spot for doing that work.
The final thing that I recommend as a good time management strategy is using a to-do list. Some people use a literal to-do list. They have a planner or they have sticky notes. Whatever works for you. I personally use an app called Todoist, which syncs between my phone, my computer, any other device I use, and allows me to organize tasks into projects or topics. So I have personal projects. I have work projects. I have money and investing related projects, you name it. And then you can set up tasks that are recurring. You can set up tasks that are different levels of priority. It basically allows me to open it up at the beginning of each day and see what I need to get done. And then I can turn that into calendar invites for myself, or I can just block off time or take time to do those things. But it, it takes the cognitive load off of me for remembering everything that I have to do. Cause even someone with a steel trap for a brain is going to forget to do certain things at certain times. But I think more importantly, there is just a big load on your brain that comes with having to remember a bunch of different things, even if you're capable of doing it, why not take that off of your brain's plate and transfer it to something that doesn't cost your brain energy such that you can focus on being more strategic, being more creative. Moving on now to signs that someone on your team may not be managing their time effectively and also some what you can do about it as a manager. And the first sign is a pretty obvious one, which is they consistently don't deliver work that they're supposed to. If they're often behind on, on their deliverables, it is very likely that they are not effectively managing their time. And you might respond, well, I think they're just really busy. They have a lot to do. Yes, that is true. But if you are constantly behind on everything, it means you are under-resourced and you're not prioritizing effectively. If someone is expecting you to get a bunch of things done at a certain time and you're not doing that, that may not be your fault in the sense that you've been asked to do too much, but you need to solve that. And you are not managing your time effectively if you are not trying to solve that problem and saying, I'm going to be behind on all of these things. Which of these do I prioritize? If you see someone who is consistently behind on their deliverables, good flag to try to get involved. I had a one-on-one -on -one once with a member of my team where I noticed this and I said, it seems like every week we agree on the things that you need to get done. And then a lot of the timelines end up slipping by the time we meet next for our next one-on-one. -on -one. I asked what's happening. And he said, I just have a lot to do. And I said, totally fair. Why don't we try taking some stuff off your plate and see what happens? So we tried that. We said, we're only going to deliver these two things instead of these four things next week. And weirdly, the same thing occurred. I had no idea why. Clearly, neither did he. So we checked in again. And I said, okay, this time, why don't we just record each day what it is that you are delivering? It sounds like micromanagement. I th think he was really on board with it because he too wanted to solve this problem. I wasn't doing this in an accusatory way saying you're bad at managing your time or I need to see everything you're doing to show that you actually do anything. I was just saying, I want to help solve this problem. I'm on your side. Can you get us the information that we need in order to figure it out? So he started recording what he was doing each day 
that was taking up his time. And we reviewed it again the next week. And what we found was there was some time, of course, devoted to the work that we had agreed on. But he was also getting a lot of asks from other stakeholders outside of the team. And it goes back to this first problem I was talking about. He was always saying yes. And so he would get asks from other teams. Those teams would have no context in the other work he was supposed to be doing. They were also stakeholders of his. So they knew that he needed to satisfy them as a stakeholder as part of his job. He was just saying yes. I looked at some of the asks that they were making and I thought to myself, these are definitely things they could do on their own, or these are clearly not as high priority as some of the things that he was working on. What we did this time is we agreed, just say, instead of yes, just say, let me figure out where that fits in to my list of priorities and get back to you in X number of days. In this case, we said three days. In those three days, he and I would meet again. So instead of having one longer one-on-one -on -one per week, we had a slightly shorter one-on-one -on -one and then a few mini one-on-ones throughout the week where we'd check in on the asks that were coming in. I would just ask the question, do you think this is something that's more important than the major work streams that you're working on? In some cases, he would say yes, and we'd discuss it and either agree or change a plan. And in some cases, we'd say no, and then he would get back to that person and say, I want to figure, I want to help you get this done. Here are some things that I would recommend doing. Unfortunately, I can't personally help with this right now due to some other priorities. So he said it in a nice way. He said, no, but instead of just no. And suddenly the next week he was progressing on deliverables in a way that I hadn't seen from him in months just by identifying you are always saying yes to asks coming in from others we were able to get him back on track with his deliverables and he managed his time much more effectively going forward. Another sign that your team member is not managing their time effectively. Are they consistently behind on their communications? Email, Slack, I'm sure there's other ones. And I know this sounds like it goes against what I said earlier. I don't mean they're slow to respond sometimes. I mean, they're literally unresponsive. You send an email and they go a week without responding to you. That likely means that they're not setting aside time in the right way to focus on their different tasks. They're being pulled in different directions and simply not dealing with some of the things that they need to. It's generally not okay as a leader or as a project manager, someone who works with other people to only focus on project work and never communication or vice versa. You probably need some balance and maybe project work is the thing to prioritize for a given direct report, but that doesn't mean that the communication can go to zero. If someone is constantly behind in their communications and simply unresponsive, it's worth having a discussion of how can we set this up such that it's not distracting you, but you are still getting to it on a regular basis, whether it's doing that thing I said earlier of 15 minutes set aside every few hours or half an hour once a day or whatever it is to make sure that just that you're being responsive. Organizations can fall apart if no one's responsive to each other's emails and slacks. That turns into people setting more meetings up, which makes people even more time constrained. You don't want to cause that cycle to continue, but you also don't want that to suddenly take up all your time. I think that there's a happy medium here. And if you see someone who is constantly behind on their deliverables, 
you have a discussion about that. If you see someone who's constantly behind on their communication, that's a separate discussion, but similar problem-solving strategy. That brings me to the next topic, which I want to flesh out a little bit. Urgent versus important. This is an incredibly impactful concept when it comes to being a leader in an organization, but also doing any kind of work in a company. There are a lot of things that come up over the course of a day. Customer has this problem. Employee has this problem. Someone needs a piece of information that they don't have and they're pinging you about it. A lot of things come up over the course of the day that I would define as urgent but unimportant. Of course, when a customer has a problem, it needs to be dealt with. Doesn't need to have everything dropped in order to deal with it. Maybe, but also maybe not. I think it is incumbent on an organization to figure out how customer-centric you really are and then make prioritization decisions accordingly. But I don't think it's always a good idea to simply drop everything you're doing when a customer has a problem. That is the same for you as a manager. As your organization grows, you're going to have more and more employees and therefore there will be more and more problems that arise. Just because it is urgent to the individual doesn't mean it's urgent to the organization. And that doesn't mean ignore it. If someone comes to you and says, I'm not happy in my job, that is important. Is it urgent though? Does everything need to be dropped such that you can have that conversation that moment? Probably not. When things come up that you say, I need to deal with this, Therefore, I'm going to drop the other things I'm doing to deal with it, whether that's a Slack message that comes in from your boss or a Slack message that comes in from a team member or some last minute meeting invite. Ask yourself, is it actually important or is it simply coming across as urgent? And what I see a lot of small companies do and new leaders do is they are constantly focused on what seems to be the most urgent problem. And that stops them from doing the actual important work of building. The important work is rarely urgent. I'm working with a company right now that is reliant on a tool that is provided to them by a third party. And this tool does not work very well. And the company is being hindered on all fronts by the lack of functionality that this tool has. It's impacting customers. It's impacting internal operations team members. It's impacting sales. You name it. Very rarely is this tool a problem in an urgent sense. There's very rarely a fire related to this tool. This tool hasn't had outages this tool hasn't stopped something from happening suddenly. But every day this tool exists at this company, it is taking away from that company's ability to build. The product team at this company is focused on a bunch of other things that are certainly important to be clear. But replacing this tool has 
not yet been a priority in the entire time I've worked with this company. And every time it's because there is something more urgent right now that needs to be dealt with. And the can gets kicked down the road. What will happen over time, most likely, is that this company will continue to build tech and operational debt hacking around this tool of theirs that simply doesn't work very well. And later on, they'll look back and wish that they had spent more time fixing this tool or replacing it with something that works better for them. But of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. At the moment, it seems like it is not urgent because nothing's breaking. Just everything works worse than it could. And so... The question to ask yourself when thinking about how to prioritize work when something comes up is, is this just urgent or is it actually important? Now, there is a place for urgent things, but it can't constantly come at the expense of important things. And so I think about it as the 80-20 rule. I spend 80% of my time doing important work and I spend 20% of my time on urgent things that come up. And that way, I will not always be distracted by the stuff that is flashing the red lights right now. I am continuing to focus on the long-term development of the strategic priorities of my company. Last topic, frequently asked questions. How can managers encourage their team members to take breaks and avoid overworking themselves? This is a constant problem in time management, which is when do I stop? If I have a lot of things to do, don't I just work more? I learned this lesson the hard way as a manager. I have had teams in the past that were part of fast growing companies, fast growing business lines, fast growing products, where we couldn't hire enough people to keep up with all the work. And so team members would stretch themselves really thin. Invariably, what would happen is those team members would burn out. There's just only so much work an individual can do before they feel the effects of that on themselves. And what happened when those team members would burn out was they would slowly become less and less able to actually push themselves to do any amount of work. The result would be either they would quit, they would take a, a role in another part of the organization, or they would simply be unproductive after working themselves to the bone for so long. At the same time, none of these individuals were saying, please give me a break. They wanted to work hard. And so is this struggle for me as a manager to say, I need to figure out ways to give them separation from their work so that they avoid overworking themselves without them flagging to me that they want that. I think the best way to approach this is to create structure around it. There are days that you can set where the team will have no meetings. There are examples you can set as a manager where you say, I'm going to be offline and not bother you on weekends or after a certain time of night. There are check-ins that you can do with them to make sure that their workload matches the number of hours or amount of 
time you want them spending at work that you think is sustainable or they have determined is sustainable. It's probably a combination of all of those things. If I were to pull out one of those, I would say that you setting the example as the manager is the most important. I have been part of a lot of companies where the leaders would be online and messaging at all hours and they would say, I don't want you to respond to this until the morning. But that doesn't matter nearly as much as the fact that I'm getting a message from my boss at 9 p.m. on a Saturday. How could I not respond to that or at least be thinking about it? If you as the boss can set the example to your team that I am setting these boundaries with work, you can be more certain that they will. I'm actually looking through the rest of these questions and realizing that we answered them in the rest of the segment. So I'm actually going to pause it here. And by pause it, I mean end it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the new intro. That is a fancy new thing I'm trying out this week and hopefully making the podcast sound a little bit more formal slash professional. I'll be off for the next two weeks. I'll be traveling, seeing the world, or at least the state of Oregon and North Carolina. Thanks so much for joining and hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.